Hello and welcome to the Rabbit Hole, the Definitive Developers Podcast. Living large in New York. I'm your host, Michael Nunez. My co-pilot today. Dave Anderson reporting. And our Time Lord. Sophie Kreutz. And the Emperor. Raymond Lamb. <laughs> there you go. Today we'll be talking about the Agile Manifesto. And then we woke up this morning and said, hey, we're going to need some cool titles. Yeah. I stay with the host. Or, so glad that know, we have. Jet lagged and like, you know, physically or like just mentally. So <laughs> bring, bring in that energy. <laughs> what better topic to talk about than the thing that we all believe most, right? The oh, Agile yeah. Manifesto. There's not much room left for tattoos, but there's room for the Agile Manifesto. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna have all the individuals tatted on your on yourself as well. All the individuals, like all, every single like, individual. Oh, name. it's like the the Last Supper, but like all of the the signings <laughs> of the Agile Manifesto. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Uh, all right. Taking notes. What is the Agile Manifesto? Before I commit to this fully. <laughs> before you get it tattooed on your arm. Yeah, before you tattoo Agilist on your forehead, you know, you could ask yourself the question, do Agilists live their life by some kind of code, right? What are the rules? Are there any kinds of quote-unquote uh, official guidelines for being it's, Agile? It's like chivalry. Right, like chivalry. <laughs> like you, <laughs> I guess you open the door for people, <laughs> etc. Don't write documentation. That's that's probably a big one or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, to read books. <laughs> <laughs> I think this agile manifesto, which does in fact exist, is a way to answer some of those questions, a way to kind of codify some ideas that folks were thinking about for a while in response to the way that software was working in businesses at the time. Yeah, yeah. And so we've talked about Agile, obviously, pretty much continuously on the podcast. And we actually, in episode 66, talked about the Agile principles, which are the 12 principles that are derived from the manifesto, from the four ideals or values. But we never talked about the values. There you go. Yeah. And here we go. Let's are. examine these values. So first... Individuals and interactions over processes and tools. Yeah, I mean, this one is so important because, like, this this kind of goes to the root of like thinking about people as people instead of like resources or like things that need to be controlled or managed. I wonder if anyone has a specific example of when they had to make some kind of choice or decision and this principle helped as a guideline and how to make that decision. I mean, I'm thinking about the ways in which things often went wrong when not working in an agile environment where in a prior life I was working in a place where individuals were definitely resources and they had very specific process oriented jobs to do basically like it was like mechanical turk but like the workplace so you would insert a sql script into a ticket people would apply the approvals onto the ticket and then someone else would take the ticket and run the script exactly as it was and if you forgot a semicolon somewhere or something was weird then they were just like, uh, 
back to the drawing board. And so like start all over. There's a lot of like waste associated with that. And like there wasn't a lot of emphasis on the individual relationships between people. Like you never like had a conversation with somebody on a different team. It was like the process mediating it. So like a choice that I made when I was working there was that I was going to build human relationships with the people who were the script monkeys. And so that way, like, you know, I'd be like, hey, like, I have this script coming up to you. Just wanted to give you a heads up. Please reach out to me, you know, when you're running it or like if you have any questions or whatever. And like that actually helped build a more humane workplace. Although I still have no idea what any of those people's faces look like. (laughs) (laughs) But it does sound like you introduced some interactions into a process that was lacking human interactions and in the process improved that process itself. Yeah, like I would get faster turnaround times. I would get more eager response and feedback loops when things were going wrong because, you know, we knew each other. We were not throwing it over the wall. Yeah. I feel like another another thing where like processes kind of come in in like Agile is like swim lanes. Like when you have like a testing swim lane where you have like a tester and you put it into the test swim lane and they say, okay, well, not my problem. (laughs) Now you got to build those relationships with your QA folks, whoever is going to be testing it. All right. How about this second ideal working software over comprehensive documentation? I love this one. I've worked at a place where like you would get like a 70 page PDF of the thing that you need to build in six months. And it was like, how do you write software in silo by yourself? Just referring to this document as you're building the thing that's being asked for. And never again could I ever do that. It was so difficult and not being able to like, you know, collaborate and make sure that it works is doing the right thing because it just all comes from this very cold documentation. <laughs> oh, all the answers are in there for every formula you need is in there. Every where directions for the documents for that formula is in there. It's painful, but even worse. Like, so you have that document, but then if there's there's a mistake, the person who was writing it didn't know everything that you know today. Because you're living at the edge of the last responsible moment, like where you Mm -hmm. have the most information. So then what do you do? Like if you if you are valuing comprehensive documentation over working software, you must update that document. (laughs) Like that document Mm -hmm. must be correct. And you should also get all the sign offs from all the stakeholders on, you know, your (laughs) spelling change or like refactoring or whatever. Yeah. And it was I could probably throw some context into it. It was a particular contract that foreign exchange traders used that was a little different than a payout forward that they wanted to spice it up so it's faster. And I have no idea what these terms were at all. Like I was just a brand new programmer thrown into foreign exchange derivatives figuring out all this word salad that was had bobby from the bronx put his (laughs) you know slacks and button up shirt on to get on a metronome to go to stanford connecticut and do my banking job and i had no idea what this talk is 60 pages of what and i just had to make it happen every day it was long hours it was tough. It was no joke. And like, so I'm curious at the end of this project, like 
were you on time? Like, did you have working software? I mean, it was on the trading platform and people said that it worked. <laughs> oh, great. Okay, cool. Because I, I feel like I've witnessed so many projects that have valued this comprehensive documentation over working software. And then they get to like the last month and it's like, oh, God, like nothing is integrated. Like we're not. Oh, yeah. Like this is another like a correlate of this is like continuous integration and like all those practices of like making small slices of functionality and like building up small slices of an application over time. So you always have something that's working. So even if you like ran away from it today, like you would have something. Like I saw too many projects that ended up in this case where it didn't fully work at the end because like it wasn't small slices. It was just a big complex thing that just went out in the world. And then now we see if this documentation was correct. Uh, just to let you know, like two months before the due date, I was just like screaming in terror at my <laughs> boss. Like, yeah, I don't know what the fuck is going on. Oh, you you got to send help. Send the cavalry. That's, I need that's help. so stressful. And, and I think also it ties into this previous ideal in a way, right? Because it's almost as if the comprehensive documentation takes the place of individuals and interactions, right? Like you might actually have a pairing session with someone where you talk about how to solve a particular problem or someone says to you, I think the answer to that problem is in the documentation. Yeah, what is working software but an interaction with an individual that's the user of that software? Indeed. That's that's (laughs) wisdom. (laughs) Just that that thought. Wisdom. Great. Awesome. I love that. Yeah, maybe we'll find going through these that like the first one is all you need. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps so. They all build upon each other. With that in mind, let's let's talk about the third one. Yeah. So that's customer collaboration over contract negotiation. I feel like this is a theme. It's like about the interactions, right? Collaboration is an mm-hmm. interaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the customer's an individual. That is a a role. It's a person that is using the product and will let you know whether it's doing the thing the customer expects it to do. Yeah, you got to think about the end user. Now, for those of us who maybe are not so savvy on the sales side of things, does anyone have an example of how contract negotiation might get in the way of customer collaboration? Oh, boy. (laughs) 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 Yeah. So, like, I think in the most literal sense, like contract negotiation, sometimes there are like fixed bid projects where it's like there is a list of stuff on a contract that you must deliver for this price. And the danger there is that you are trying to predict what is going to be useful in the future. Or like maybe some person in finance is trying to predict what the customer actually needs. So it's like, you should actually be talking to the people who are going to use the software and like iteratively work with them over time to arrive at a solution that is meeting the true needs of what they need to do. Yeah, it makes so much sense when you put it that way. And I think there's like other aspects of contract negotiation too that I don't know if are intended, but like I think about like, you know, interfaces as being contracts too and things like that so like if if you have like an api spec for a public service i feel like again like customer collaboration like you should talk to the people who are going to use this public facing api rather than like 
you know, hammering out this stone chiseled API doc. Right. I mean, how would a contract negotiation get so far removed from customer needs after all? Well, I think it has to do with, you know, a contract to me, when something has been negotiated in the contract, like it's set in stone and right then and there, but it doesn't allow the customer to like actually say something or change something once they see it in real time. Like I imagine we've all had an experience where we were pairing with the designer. I was like, all right, well, I got this thing and it looks here. What do you think about this? It's like, on second thought, <laughs> let's try this other thing. But like that negotiation takes that away because they've already negotiated where that button's going to go, for example, or what calculation is going to exist to make this better. I've read this in terms of how you know, you take that away from the customer because it's done by people who are not even using the software to write where this. Yeah. 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 And I think there's also like, if you think about things like with empathy from the perspective of people who might be like writing this contract with a list of stuff, why would they do that? They might do that because they're afraid. Like Mm -hmm. they're afraid that they're going to pay a lot of money for something that is not going to be successful. And, a lot of these things, these like, you know, processes and tools or individual interactions is like, how do I get control? How do I like feel comfortable with this process that is inherently like very risky? So like, you know, process and tools, comprehensive documentation, contract negotiation, these are all like ways to try to feel like you have control over the inherently risky process of developing software. Right. And I suppose like being agile being able to respond to change might feel very out of control sometimes. However, that does lead into our last ideal here, which is responding to change over following a plan. Now, I don't think this implies that you should have no plan, right? Just to clarify. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it did. I thought right. it did. Yeah. Screw the plan. <laughs> make it happen. <laughs> But I think it does call out the idea that, like, you can follow a plan and know that there might be changes associated to that plan in which one will have to respond to the change accordingly versus, nope, my head is in this document and I'm only going to do everything that's in this document. Or it's been in the contract and I can't look away, regardless of the change that's being asked for me to do because of the you know, this stonewall, these very cold processes that exist and the things that Agile is trying to change. Right. Those sound like inflexible processes. I feel like this implies that the plan that you do have is a plan that allows for change and response to change. Yeah, if you, with the first three, you can definitely have a much better sense of being able to respond to change, right? Because with response to the change, you can collaborate with the customer to figure out what's the best you know, possible solution and work with other individuals via interactions. That'll end up with some working software that works, right? Because that's like the most important thing. Do you think that this maybe ties into how the agile process is different from Waterfall, for instance? Because Waterfall, in Waterfall, you have these stages, right? You go from stage to stage, you complete the stage, and then you go to the next, but then you never return. Well, in theory, you never return. (laughs) But in practice, 
you do find yourself learning new things as you're you're building and and writing software you do return to you know question the requirements like the fundamental assumptions that were made there and question the design and other stages that were coming beforehand so i think it like it forces you to confront that fact like you know there's the diagram of waterfall it's like wow the water never goes back up the fall but <laughs> that's, it's like that's gravity wait, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like we are not on planet earth like we are we are out in space <laughs> Isn't there like a fish that swims or jumps against the thing and then goes? That's what I was thinking. So, oh, like, like, you a, have like a, Yeah, there salmon. are salmon cannons here. We are shooting salmon straight into, into space. And, you know, sometimes you go to verification and testing, and it's like, no, we need to do the redesign. And you, you know, you swiggle your way up the waterfall and start the design again and make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> if yeah, you pay yeah. for the Patreon that doesn't exist yet, you'll see me actually wiggling on the chair as oh, wow, I go wow. up a waterfall. It's not, it's not pleasant. Amazing. But. It's the Yo Bobby <laughs> head on a fish. <laughs> exactly. Just wiggling my face. Out of a yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe it's not even planet Earth. Maybe it's maybe it's Arrakis. It's Dune. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the structure of that waterfall is very, very rigid. As you know, if, in seeing in a diagram where agile is definitely more fluid. And even that last one where you respond to change. If there was a change that has been called out in any part of waterfall, it's like, well, well we're still going down this ride. Like you can't get off at this point. Got to make yeah. it happen and then just go. Yeah. And agile kind of makes you, allows you to loop back, you know, take a, take an elevator in this waterfall to go up and then give it a go and then go down again. Right. Like to bring in a metaphor, suppose you were walking down this path and the path gets you from A to B. So the plan is walk down this path from point A to point B, but then you start walking down the path and all of a sudden you realize your path is obstructed. Perhaps there's no path. Maybe a tree has fallen in the way. Maybe there's a wall. Maybe there's a huge cliff or a valley and you cannot pass so if you're following the plan rigidly, then I guess you you fall into the pit. Yeah, that's Lemmings right there. That's, yes. That's a classic video game. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, you just fall right in. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, that sounds about right. And what would the Agilist do, I guess? The Agilist would build a bridge or go around. Or, like, Agilist may even question, wait, like, why are we trying to get over here? Oh, like, that's true. Why is the chicken crossing the road? <laughs> Why do we need to go to point B? <laughs> yeah. There's corn over here, guys. Like, exactly. Come on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If you visit the agilemanifesto.org, first off, great, great website. Definitely made with just HTML because that's all you need. It. You don't need a JavaScript framework at the time that this was created. You just need HTML, right? Some P tags, some BR tags. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, I want to re rebuild this using React. I do. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to do it. Let's do it. <laughs> At the very top, I will read the manifesto for agile software development. And it goes like this. We are uncovering better ways of developing software by doing it and helping others do it. Through this work, we have come to value individuals and interactions over processes and tools, working software over comprehensive documentation, customer collaboration over contract negotiation, 
responding to change over following a plan. That is, while there is value in the items on the right, we value the items on the left more. There you go. Thank you. That's not mine. That belongs and was created by 17 cis white males very <laughs> very long time ago oh uh, yeah but it, it's really like the movement of what came before and after like there's a lot of unsung people and i think there's there's a lot of like other signatories i think our own william jeffries is on here somewhere yeah ron jeffries ron jeffries <laughs> Yeah. And I think I definitely want to talk more about what these 17 individuals do. I think it's important. I mean, we could go over a list and just read some biographies. I remember looking it over and thought, wow, that's pretty amazing. And that guy is part of the, you know, creation of this process, which is like really cool. So feel free to hear that episode coming soon. And with that, keep on agiling, if that's the word. Keep on being agile. Follow us now on Twitter at Radio Free Rabbit so we can keep the conversation going. Like what you hear? Give us a five-star review and help developers just like you find their way into the rabbit hole. And never miss an episode. Subscribe now however you listen to your favorite podcast. On behalf of our producer extraordinaire, William Jeffries, and my amazing co-host, Dave Anderson, and me, your host, Michael Nunez, thanks for listening to The Rabbit Hole.